have had a blessed week so far. Let's scoot that up a little bit. Well, today is going to be the last day of the, my series I've called The Grind. So, good news for some of you, I'm sure. But, you know, the couple past times I've been up here, first time we talked about Paul's transformation on his uh, meeting Jesus on the road to Damascus, and how when you have a transformed heart, you give your heart to Jesus, Jesus gives his heart to you, and you should crave the same things that he craves. I just came on. And then the next week we talked about how Paul found contentment in, uh, in prison and being beaten in his letter to the Philippians, and how we heck can have God look at our lives directly and see how we do, or we can have God look through a lens of Jesus in the cross and then see how we do. It's up to us. So today, I hope you all have been fed as much grace and nourishment with these lessons as I have had been preparing them. Uh, today we'll be in 2 Corinthians chapters 5 and 6, if you guys want to follow me along. Um, I'm going to start off while you guys are turning there or navigating there. I'll start off with a little background on this church. So the church in Corinth was planted by Paul, if you were to read Acts 18, 1 through 17. And God's word tells us that Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half preaching the gospel. So as you heard, this letter is called 2 Corinthians. Well, this was written about a year and a half after what we call 1 Corinthians to the same church, obviously. Now, after Paul had planted this church, there had some, some people come from the east telling the people at Corinth that the gospel that Paul was preaching was not the gospel that they should be living by. Because they said that Paul was suffering and he was poor, so that wasn't the gospel that he was preaching. But Paul was called to write this letter to this church because obviously the church was in turmoil. So they had to write this letter to let the church in Corinth know that his ministry for Jesus was just. So if we start in verse 11 of chapter 5, Paul writes, Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. Now, when we, when we read the words commending here, I want you to, some of your versions may say to make manifest. Uh, I want you to know that the Greek word that Paul uses is to make visible or known what has been hidden. So Paul is telling the Corinthians that the people who boast about how awesome they are and how awesome their ministry is, it's not but that they don't have the right heart. He says that we know the fear of the Lord and that we should know better than that. We have a transformed heart. Now, we just got done going through the first 39 chapters of Isaiah over in the teen house this morning. We've, we dive in each week to a certain book, and we just got done with the wisdom books. And in those series of books, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Job, they always talk about living in the fear of the Lord. Now, that usually means to be in awe of or reverence of God. But sometimes it also means I'm scared of him as well. You know, we could take how awesome it is when we go outside to see how amazing God is with current uh, changing of the seasons, as it was very cold this morning, as you guys noticed. You know, we have pumpkin everything, sweatshirts, campfires, no mosquitoes or pesky bugs anymore. So I hope we all can be in awe of God's creation this week. Actually, tonight we're having a bonfire at the Dishman's house at 6 o'clock. If you guys want to come and enjoy that, it would be a great time. You guys, should, you guys should totally come. So we talked about how important it is to have a transformed heart after giving your life to Christ. We need to let the love of Christ control us because of what Paul writes in verses 14 and 15. 
says, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all. That those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Jesus died for us all. We take part in his death so that we can take part in his life. A new creation. Paul goes on to tell us that, tells the church to be, that we are ambassadors for Christ. And that God calls us to his side through Jesus in the cross. And I can't tell you how much I love reading and hearing 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And that always makes me think of two things. First thing is the song by Acapella. And it really helps me realize how deep and wide God's love is for his world. He took all of the sins of all and had Jesus suffer what we were due because of that. Death. Now I try to spend time in solitude with God every morning. Just me, my Bible, and a cup of coffee. 2 Corinthians 5.21 and a couple of other sayings help me stay centered and help me stay focused. One of them is, I thank God for being God all the time, no matter what. That helps me stay centered in Jesus. And the other thing is, whether in grief, joy, or pain, I know that God is God all the time, no matter what. The other one is, I know that the tomb is still empty. That helps me. There's a resurrection, and that helps me keep centered. Those things really helped me when I was in the hospital just a few months ago. I'd just gotten back from a week of spectacular, awesome things in El Salvador with 12 other missionaries. And we got back late Friday night, and then, of course, I hadn't seen Sarah in a week, so we stayed up a little, a little more longer to catch up. And then our friends of ours were getting married the next day, so we went to the wedding the next day. I was exhausted, but I love weddings. Because it always takes me back to when Sarah was walking down the aisle here and when we started our life together. It's hard for me not to get teary-eyed and choked up, but there's so much joy and happiness when you go to a wedding. Like I said, I was still tired, but that didn't keep me from dancing for Jesus at the reception now. But we left a little early because I had to preach the next day. So I came home, finished up some preparation, and as many of you know, that was kind of a short sermon for me that day. And I would find out why the next night. You know, I wanted to go out to dinner for Monday night, so Sarah and I would uh, have some hashtag just us time. So we drove downtown, stopped at an arcade, played some games. And then we drove up to the Liberty Memorial and just kind of hung out. Uh, that's where I asked her to marry me. Is why we, it's kind of our special place. Then I had a craving for some good old-fashioned American food. So I stopped by. We wanted to stop by Town Topic Hamburgers there at Southwest Boulevard and Broadway. So I place an order, and I feel a fan blow on the back of my neck. And I, I just kind of lean up on the counter. I go, oh, man, that fan feels really good. And then I feel like I'm tired, like I'm exhausted. Like I could close my eyes and just fall asleep. Sarah says that's exactly what I did. I passed out, fell down, hit my head on the, on, the, on the floor, unconscious. Now, I remember coming to a little bit and hearing Sarah say my name repeatedly. And then I kind of woke up, and then my body, like every pore in my body was sweating. It was so hot in that place. And then I remember seeing Sarah's face, something I'll never, ever get out of my head. It was just straight fear. And then I realize that I'm on the floor of this burger joint downtown. And I go, okay, I don't want to be on this floor anymore, so somebody help me up. So I get, get some help with some people that are sitting around there eating their burgers. And they help me up on this chair. But 
Apparently I wasn't done passing out, so I did it more, two more times, just really quick. But then after some help, we got outside, and I tell you what, once I got outside, that fresh air had never felt so good. Uh, I kind of compare it to when you're laying in bed, you're getting ready to fall asleep, and your body heat kind of rises a little bit, then you stick your foot out in the covers, and it's like perfect, like, okay, now I'm good. That's what it felt like. Now, with the uh, help of some people, and the cook handed me this towel with some, with some cold water on it. And I was on my way into an ambulance on the way to North Kansas City Hospital. Now, Sarah followed the apparently really, really slow ambulance, if you were to ask her. I was taken to the ER. And on the way to the ER, I have a funny story. I was just getting back from El Salvador, like I said. And they asked me where I wanted to go, which hospital I wanted to go to. And I said, North Kansas City Hospital. And they told me that it was closed. So I asked the guys that were driving, I said, okay, I've been in El Salvador for a week, but when do they start closing hospitals? But you get technical, and they say there's only a certain amount of beds that they have, so that's how they got closed. But I just, when they told me that, I just was in shock. Like, okay, I've been gone a week, but hold on. So then I get rushed into the ER, and they start hooking me up with uh, my torso, sticky things, and then machines start beeping, collecting data. And then there's a team of professionals that come in and get information from you. And then Sarah and I are alone in the room. We're both scared. And we don't know why this happened. Uh, they have taken some blood and other things to make sure I'm going to live for another day. They're going to run some tests, but it's just a waiting game. Researcher Brene Brown studies human emotions like shame, sympathy, and how to live wholeheartedly. She says this, The research taught me the hard truth that we can't selectively numb out. When we numb the dark, we numb the joy. When we're anxious, disconnected, vulnerable, alone, and feeling helpless, the booze and the food and the work and the endless hours online feel like comfort, but in reality, they're only casting their long shadows over our lives. So in other words, you can't dull the feeling of grief without dulling the feeling of joy. Living with joy and hope amid pain requires an ability to live in tension. We can't just deny the pain and pretend like everything's all peachy. As followers of Christ, we must place our hope in a faithful God that says that there's not only an end, but a divine purpose to our pain. If we go through it with him and embrace that tension of joy and grief. Let me help you understand what I'm saying here. I want to show you guys a video of a man named Nick Walenda crossing the Grand Canyon on a tightrope without a safety net or a harness, using only the tension of the rope and a balance. See you soon. Woo, that's a view there, buddy. Right. Winds are way worse than I expected. Talk all you want. That's why the world is watching. So you get here. Praise you, Jesus. You're doing good. Looks spectacular. Very awesome. Got a little end-to-end -end thing building, Terry. You're 11 and a half minutes. Nick is now at the halfway point of this walk. Definitely a whip in that cable. Yeah, I can see it. I can see it, but you're still uh, handling it fine. Doing fine. 
You don't have to tell me how long I'm on the wire. All right. Lord, you are everything. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Discovery Channel, for believing in me. Little nephew standing out there watching too. True artiste. I don't know about that. over what could seem like a canyon from one point to the next, let's not forget that God is God all the time, no matter what. He's there holding us, making sure we stay balanced. Now, if you read on in chapter 6, Paul writes, As God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, In the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor, now is the day of salvation. Paul, being the Old Testament scholar that he was, quotes Isaiah 49.8 here to appeal to the church at Corinth that the day of salvation has arrived, and it is in Christ. God is already pouring out many blessings, and he will continue to do so. So while Sarah and I were waiting in the ER that night, I had to make sure my brother Terry Kilburn had a ride to men's breakfast the next day. So I texted Mark Stanley and let him know the situation. And Sarah had to open her doctor's office earlier the next morning. She couldn't get a hold of anybody to open for her. So she had to go home and try to get some rest. But there was nothing that could be done about that. So we hugged and kissed goodnight, and there I was in the hospital ER alone. Just lost consciousness three times in less than five minutes and had no answers as to why. But, you know, I, I had to find joy, and it was easy. I knew that my church family was praying for me, and I felt those prayers in my heart and soul. Thank you praying for me when I didn't know what to say. And every time somebody would come in to check on me at the hospital, I was able to share Jesus with them. I was able to find joy in having conversations with strangers about the power of God working in their lives as well. And God is so good. Now, while I'm being wheeled around from CT scan to whatever letter scan I had, I had so many I don't remember, I was just amazed at the technology at the hospital. I had a nurse... Show me what my she was showing my heart beating and what it looked like when my when I when I held my breath like like crazy. Now of course I just spent a week in a place where that's most likely seen on television, but it, I, I still was just amazed that God could show me His power even when I didn't know what exactly was going on. Trusting in His wisdom helped me understand to be still and know that He is God. You know, we can be Christ in many ways, but Paul goes on to tell the Corinthians that through their victories and triumphs, they show Christ, but also the glory of the gospel shines through us in the way we respond to grief and suffering. Verses 3 through 10. We put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that in our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. In great endurance, troubles, 
hardships and distresses, beatings, imprisonments, and riots, hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger, purity, understanding, patience, kindness, in the Holy Spirit, and in sincere love, in truthful speech, and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing and yet possessing everything. We are servants of God, and while we are grinding it out this week, please remember that God is there with you in that grind of every day. Whether you are struggling in your walk with Christ, struggling with your walk with your spouse, your child, any family member, God is there with you, holding your hand and guiding your step. And after all the tests and the doctor not letting me eat for eight hours or so, they told me that I was dehydrated and exhausted while I was scarfing down a chicken salad sandwich as quickly as possible. You know what the doctors told me? You need to rest. They gave me some paperwork, and Sarah wheeled me out to the car because I was still at fall risk at that point. And we went home, praising God for all that he'd showed me in the past 24 hours. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. I would love to sing that for you, but I cannot sing. And to be honest with you, if I were to sing it, it'd probably sound just the same anyway. I'm not very good to it. God showed me his power by having my heart stop to tell me that I should slow down more often. God's power can be reflected when you have times of weakness. Like the list I just read a minute ago. Sorrowful yet always rejoicing. It's having nothing yet possessing everything. When our hearts are changed by Christ through the work on the cross, this is possessing everything. God's love, grace, compassion, and His Holy Spirit living within us. Oh, how happy. That is a victory. Now, I know that some tightropes that are stretched from grief to joy are longer than others, but that's where we should grow as a community. 2 Corinthians 1, 5-7 says, For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives... So also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm. Because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. Strangers that helped Sarah and I that night at time topic didn't know me from Adam. They shared in my sufferings on that floor. By giving me a cool towel with this red strip on it to help me, by propping me up on a chair and pitching my big old body before I fell and hit my head again. Community shares sufferings and victories together. Church, when someone is having trouble walking their tightrope, we should share, share in that suffering. Because we all know that it will lead to comfort. And who doesn't want to share comfort? You know, I keep this towel as a reminder that day to be still which is really hard for me sometimes. But then I read the story in Luke 22. The brother heard brought up so eloquently earlier. I'm glad that we met earlier this week and talked about that. If you would turn with me there, Luke 22, I'm going to start in verse 47. and find out how Jesus walked this tightrope. Now, when we hop into the story, Jesus is just hours away from his crucifixion. So Jesus just got done praying to his father, like Herb said earlier. That he was praying so intently that God take the will of his suffering away from him. 
But Jesus is praying so intently that there are drops of blood mixing with his sweat. And then that is intentional prayer. Now, Jesus is betrayed by Judas, comes in and kisses him. And that is a sign to the people that are coming to arrest him that, hey, you need to arrest this guy. Jesus asks him a question in verse 48. says, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? Now, someone from around the crowd, around Jesus, knew what was coming, pulled out their sword, and cut off the right ear of the servant of the high priest. Now, Jesus was no doubt in grief. He knew he was about to take on a very painful load, a very heavy one, if you will. There was tension after that ear got cut off. Jesus says, no more of this. And Jesus touched the man's ear and healed him. When there was tension, Jesus was just Jesus. When in that tension between joy and grief, don't forget to just be Jesus. Love God. Love one another. Be present for one another. Share in suffering with one another so that we can share in comfort with one another. Listen for God's voice this week. And I pray that you take time in solitude with him. We need that time to be still and present with him. I'd like all of you to remember at least two things from today. God is God all the time, no matter what. And the tomb is still empty. You guys don't write anything down today. Please write those two things down. They help me navigate tremendously my, nav- my uh, tightrope walk. Now, if there's anyone here that is in need of prayers as you navigate that tightrope, Prayer is so powerful. You want to know why? Because God is so powerful. I invite you to come forward as Jerome leads us in this next song. There'll be a couple of shepherds up here that will be present for you, that will pray for you. So now is the time of salvation. Now is the time of God's favor. If you have any need, please come forward as we stand and sing.